Hey everyone, it's Matt Harmon from the Yahoo Fantasy Football Show. Are you sad there's no fantasy football going on right now? Yeah, me too. I've got good news for you though. It is fantasy baseball season right now. Join a public league, join an instant draft, or create a league with your buddies before opening day. It's Yahoo Fantasy Baseball time. Sign up for the 2024 fantasy baseball season at yahoo.com slash fantasy baseball or on the Yahoo Fantasy app. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the entire world breaking down the Jets. 31 to 10 victory over the Chicago Bears from all angles. Tune into that later when we have Vinny Pasquantino on to break down the Jets. No, that's actually something we're doing. I'm Jake Mintz. I am joined by Jordan Schusterman on a Monday morning full of Mm. energy, verve, lacking in baseball news. But this show will stay hot even if the stove stays cold. Which uh, I got to say, Jake, as I returned home uh, to Indiana on Saturday after a lovely Thanksgiving in which I got to spend some time with you, IRL, as everyone heard on our podcast last week, I returned home and, and our heat was broken here, which not, I, I am, I even more than everyone on Twitter, oh, I need moves, I need moves. No, I need heat. And the hot stove gives me heat and warmth. And um, I am craving a transaction more than I ever have before. Do, but we still have think, a good amount to talk about. Do you think that... Seattle Mariners general manager Jerry Depoto doesn't turn his heat on during the winter and just <laughs> relies upon him keeping the stove hot to heat his literal home. Generally, yes. Uh, he gave us, I believe, it was la- was this at the deadline when he said he was quote ready to transact. That is just yes. an all time Depoto uh, uh, moment. But anyway, the point is, is yes, I'm a little chilly. That's why I'm wearing a, a beanie inside. But I'm ready to podcast. We do have some fun stuff lined up. We do have some actual transactions, some possible transactions. And then later, we're going to bring back Deadball Mad Libs. We got a couple uh, good mailbag questions. And then, yeah, well, Vinny's going to talk about the Jets because he's got to keep this podcast streak going. But most importantly, we're going to chat about baseball and have a good time. Speaking of having a good time, Jordan, mm. Aaron Judge seems to have spent Thanksgiving in the Bay Area. And presumably he had a good time. One of the things that we know about Aaron Judge is that he likes his family, right? We see, I mean, that's wow, what true a of a lot of people. It's true of a lot of people, but particularly so true. true of him, mm-hmm. right? Hugging family members all the time. Just relax enough. Yeah, okay? we cool, get it. Cool it. Sweet. You love your mom. That's awesome, dude. It's really, really but sick. Aaron Judge flew into the Bay Area and before Thanksgiving, he sat down and did a two-day meeting Jamboree with the Mm. San Francisco Giants. The first real sprinkle of Aaron Judge free agency news bonanza. This is like the first tangible, actual thing I think that we have. Maybe the Yankees offering him a deal was news, but this is like seeing Aaron Judge in a hotel in San Francisco, holding his bags, smiling about why he's there. It feels as if the sweepstakes have truly begun. Yes, and you know we had uh, Grant Brisby on to preview the offseason, and the reason we had him on is because it did seem like the Giants were emerging as the the, the other team in this in this race. Now, as I think Ken Rosenthal pointed out this morning in, in his column, like it is goofy for us to just assume this is two teams after the guy that just hit sixty two home runs. Right, but this is the one that makes the most sense, and as you said, this is the most tangible thing beyond the weird Hal Steinbrenner comments about, of course we want him, and we'll go to whatever lengths, and blah 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 blah. So let's talk about first of all, let's talk about the video. All right, our first little TMZ style video of a player in a city that he is not currently playing, because we get reports about this. Oh, was seen here? Was was you know 
sources say that they were at the ballpark meeting with him. You don't always get visual evidence. You don't always get that. And so this little video, as you mentioned, of in, in a San, San Francisco hotel with someone, I don't even know who this was. It's huge TMZ energy, although I do not uh, believe this was actually TMZ. Just a very funny video, even though it's 10 seconds long. So you know when like a huge criminal mastermind, say El Chapo or someone of that ilk is on the run and there are mm. sightings of them in seven different countries on three different continents and everyone's sending tips into Interpol and it's, oh, spotted here, spotted there. Aaron Judge, you can't miss him, right? Because <laughs> if you're oh, on the yes. street, if you're walking on the street and you see anybody over 6'6", maybe even 6'5", you stare longer at that person than you do at regular sized people. That's just a fact of humanity, mm -hmm. correct? And yep. so if you see a tall person approaching you and you take a look at their face, it's Aaron Judge. So people will know where Aaron Judge is over the course of this offseason, I believe. If he goes to meet with the Dodgers, someone will see him in a hotel in Los Angeles. If he goes to meet with the Royals, someone will see him at a restaurant in Kansas City. That is going to become a fact of this Sweepstakes in a way that it was not for Trey Turner mm -hmm. or, or is not going to be for Trey Turner or Carlos Cray even and probably even wasn't for like Machado or Harper where Aaron Judge is uniquely recognizable because of how tall he is. So expect it's a, it's these a, yeah. to keep rolling in. Now he is he went to the Bay Area and he sat down and he had uh, dinner on Monday night with his agent. Giants uh, president or owner, Larry Bear, general manager, Farhan Zaidi, and then their manager, Gabe Kapler, Jordan. Mm -hmm. What do you think they ate? Right. So, I well, I mean, do we know what kind of restaurant it was? I mean, this is, this no. is a big thing. Does Judge pick the restaurant? Is this a situation where it's like, hey, Aaron, like you've been to San Francisco before, like, what? Where do you want to go? You know, <laughs> like, like let's let's make sure you're as comfortable as possible. Or is it like let's show you? We'll show you the best of the best because we're here all the time. He's been to San Francisco before, yes. But in my mind, like when I'm here in D.C. where I grew up, but have not spent a lot of time as an adult, I don't know what bars to go to. Mm -hmm. I don't know the vibes. I've never lived here as me. And maybe Aaron Judge has never not spent enough time in San Francisco as an adult for him to pick the spot where he wants to eat. I would imagine they said, let us show you the, the place to go. Now, what stands out about this to me, right, this group of five, team president, general manager, manager, agent, judge, that's what was reported, I believe, by NBC Sports, uh, San Francisco, Bay Area, is Gabe Kapler, right, is the Giants manager. And Gabe Kapler is a bit of an odd cat. He's an eccentric as it gets. He does a lot of weird shit. And it didn't work in Philly, and it's basically worked so far in San Francisco. And one of the things that we know about Gabe Kapler is that he's a weird eater. He eats a lot of meat. He's very particular about the foods he puts into his body. If you read his old blog, Cap Lifestyle, you can find out specifics. But what was interesting about this to me is like, if I want to convince Aaron Judge, like, yo, Gabe Kapler is the dude to play for, I don't know if I would invite Aaron Judge to watch Gabe Kapler eat. Mm, right. Maybe maybe we we save that for a little bit farther down the line in the negotiations or after. Right. The, de the deal is done. It's like, whew. All right. Now he can see what Cap is really like, all about. Jordan, you have not ever gone on a real date in your mm. life. Mm, OK. But there is something about hiding one's worst qualities at oh, the I beginning of a relationship. Yep. And yeah. to me, inviting Aaron Judge to eat with Gabe Kapler is the equivalent of that time I went on a first date and we went and got ramen mm. and I slurped up a storm and there was no second date. Right. Because then it's like, ooh. Are, are. Now, in this case, much easier to look at that and be like, that's the end of that conversation. How Gabe Kapler eats, I don't think can possibly torpedo this discussion. There are other more important factors involved. But I understand what you're getting at. I would... I do like to envision a world where Gabe Kapler or someone at this table is eating in such a bizarre manner that Aaron Judge is like, you know what? Nah, like hey, I'm out. Hey, what about the reverse? 
right? Maybe there has been a dinner, a free agent dinner one time where the free agent had some strange eating quirk and the team was like, this guy's etiquette just isn't up. Like, sure, you know, he's got 80 power and, you know, he plays a damn good right field, but this is like 35 grade etiquette. He slouches. Can't bring the, he slouches. This, we cannot have this these table manners representing our organization. I, maybe that's happened. I mean, I, mean, I you know, but crazier things have happened. So, so who knows? Anyway, so besides besides the dinner, <laughs> the other main thing about this trip that was reported, mm. which I find very funny, and I'm going to read this uh, word for word from the NBC Sports Bay Area article. Quote: As part of their pitch, the Giants put Judge in touch with Steph Curry's camp. Hopeful that the two superstars could connect as Judge weighs his decision. Jordan, what stands out to you about this sentence? I'm going to read it one more time. As part of their pitch, the Giants put Judge in touch with Steph Curry's camp. Not even Steph Curry. Hopeful that the two superstars could connect as Judge weighs his decision. Uh, that the the Giants were the ones that like we got you. You've you. We've talked about this before about the the likelihood of. Of play, not just in baseball, but outside of baseball, of famous athletes already knowing each other. And so to me, it's the right, it's the Giants being like, we will make the connection. We will throw you on a group text. But again, I also love the phrase camp because that is such a sports thing that is just so funny that it's always referring to this. Is, I feel like we hear it more in the NBA than ever, but certainly in free agency, it's always like, oh, what is, we gotta, we gotta make sure that their camp is in the loop. Oh, we got to make sure it's like, what are, what are we talking about? What, what was the first origin of this in a, in a, in a sports context? I would love to know. But anyway, am I, am I, what, what, what do you think stands out the most? Well, the, to me, news, the news would have been if Steph Curry had met with Aaron Judge while he was in San Francisco. Mm, That's not news even to they me. couldn't. They didn't make that happen. Steph Curry they, is playing basketball. <laughs> they connected the two. So they basically went, hey, Aaron, here's Steph Curry's phone number. Handle it. <laughs> reach out. We've uh, all had that scenario, right? You ask for mm, someone's phone number who you want to contact. True. That's true. Hey, putting you to connecting you to putting you to, you can handle it from here. Take me you, off the email chain. You know, the funniest version of this, right? We got to throw it back to, to some OG Barbcast days, um, which was when we were given the phone number of Mike Mordecai <laughs> to get him on the podcast. Courtesy of our, uh, our, I don't even know how to explain what Coach Mac was. But the point is, a, a mentor of ours was like, hey, uh, I know Mike Mordecai, you should have him on the podcast. And at this point, we were like, oh, foreign big major, major leaguer, sure. And he's like, here's Mike Mordecai's number. And at this point, we're what, 20, 19? We're 19. like, okay, sure. <laughs> Just cold called him. <laughs> anyway, hey, so Mike, you're on a podcast. Yeah. Um, but you, you, in this case, you think it's like, here, you, you, here's, here's, but this is silly because of course they've talked before. And it seems that we've heard from Steph Curry that they have indeed already uh, talked before. Now, the most questionable part about this is that Steph Curry is a well-known Red Sox fan. Mm. Okay. He is such a Red Sox fan, in fact, that he did his bachelor party at a game at Fenway Park. Okay. <laughs> Was it his bachelor party or a bachelor party? I think it was his bachelor party. Oh, okay. Well, either way, that the, the, he does uh, reference this in some form, and I think that is still amazing. He said 2011, right? Jordan, what would I have to do for you to have your bachelor party? You're engaged mm -hmm. at Fenway Park. <laughs> Fenway Park. Man, if it was the 2011 Red Sox, you know, we got Peak Ellsbury, you know, we got Marco Scudero doing his thing, uh, Darnell McDonald, uh, he got 175 plate appearances. <laughs> tough to pass up tough to pass up i gotta say nothing says let's get married like watching <laughs> like the red john sox lackey <laughs> like watching like the red sox capitulate capitulate down the stretch to the orioles mm, that's love that's eternal love so but steph has been quoted this offseason already as saying like i'm gonna do what i can to help the red sox in mm. regards to the aaron judge sweepstakes and what dawned on me is that the Steph Curry is a smart guy and he knows he knows that Aaron Judge is not going to go to the Red Sox almost certainly I mean maybe he does but he probably doesn't and that his best shot of getting Judge out of the division and making him someone else's problem is getting him to go to the Giants so in my mind this is five-dimensional chess by the Red Sox front office to mm. employ Steph Curry to convince Aaron Judge to sign with the Giants right because 
Hein Bloom, maybe he's not going to want to spend a bunch of money on 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 a big free agent, or I guess more likely Red Sox ownership. Uh, but if they if he can play a small part, you know, in, in getting Judge out of the AL East, then that's a huge win. That is a that would be a successful Red Sox uh, a successful Red Sox offseason. <laughs> I will say Steph Curry is one of like five athletes who I think could have some non-zero sway. Some pull. In this. Sure. Sure. Yeah, no, that's 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 definitely fair. Um, but yeah, I it's mean, not like was, he's connecting. It's not like it's not like they're connecting Aaron Judge with Trevor Ariza. <laughs> yeah. I, hey, uh, listen. All the all the did, did he ever play for the Warriors? I don't even remember. What what Warriors? I mean, it's like it's just the NBA too. It's the same kind of thing where like people in the we we have to accept that that a lot of sixth men in the NBA have a lot more. Uh, their Q ratings are a lot higher. <laughs> A lot of baseball players. If the Giants could find a way to connect me with 2004 Gilbert Arenas, then I would definitely sign there. Mm-hmm. Last judge thing mm-hmm. is a John Morosi uh, tweet that we want to talk about on yeah, this, well, this week's edition of a new segment we called News That Means Nothing. John Morosi went on MLB Hot Stove, uh, also known as Quarter Zip Central. Mm-hmm. And the quote he said was, I'm told that the meeting between Judge and the Giants, went all the way up to the ownership level. Jordan, thoughts on this? I would freaking hope so. <laughs> I mean, we know that ownership for certain teams are more involved in free agency than others, but this feels like the one where you clear the schedule and you make time for a fancy dinner, you know, if you're if you're part of any ownership group. This is not... Now, if, if we got this same report about you know some team meeting with Michael Waka, I'm very intrigued because now I'm like, holy shit, what do I not know about Michael Waka that ownership is getting involved in these meetings? But pl- I really now, now listen, ownership does not get involved in. There are some teams where ownership doesn't get involved in any of this stuff, right? Some people would argue that that's for the best, but I just I just love this as like a like. Oh my God! They got the owners involved to sign the guy for three hundred million dollars. <laughs> hey, yeah. I'll, one more thing though, Morosi has been on fire this offseason, and his feed bouncing between WBC rosters, college hockey, and <laughs> the World Cup, and real rumors is a truly impressive feat, and is making me appreciate him a lot more. So, yeah, we're getting. My favorite Morosi thing now is that we're getting real and fake rumors, not fake rumors, but we're getting news and not news from the same source. And it it makes me a more informed consumer because I need to sift through owners talking to Aaron Judge to find the real news that is happening. Jordan, speaking of real news, let's leave Aaron Judge behind, at least for now. I'm sure we will talk about him again this winter. And let's go down the coast to fake Los Angeles, also known as Orange County, where the Anaheim Angels are yet again for another winter fooling every single mark in the baseball media and fandom world into thinking that they will be good in the year to come. They acquired Hunter Renfro baseball version over the weekend or maybe last week. And people are starting to raise their eyebrows and they're starting to go, hmm, maybe the Angels. What about the Angels? Jordan, Mm -hmm. is Hunter Renfro the guy who tips the scales? Uh, I will say this. Uh, What they are doing. Whoa, 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 whoa. Was that a hint, a tinge of optimism? A tinge of optimism. Uh, No, but I will say that this, what, Perry Manassian is doing with this offseason, which is a version of what they've done in many past offseasons, but now it feels much more uh, dire. And when we talked about, oh, oh, Tani, okay, I, I, I feel very validated that they're going the exact route, which, which is what I expected, which is we're going to assemble a hilarious one-year contract last dance in Anaheim. And by which I mean, listen, we're going to get new ownership. Otani's probably out the door, but he's here for one more year. All we can do is acquire a bunch of dudes on one-year contracts. I know Tyler Anderson was a three-year deal and just hope that everyone stays healthy. Because yes, if you could guarantee health for this Angels team, it should probably win 90 games. Sure, I really believe that, really. But the depth is now so fun. Not that there was ever depth there before. But we saw it last year. And we are looking at a lineup now 
that is it's it's uh, the lineup was the problem last year, but again, that was because the injuries were so bad and everyone after Travis Otani was awful. But like, listen, listen, I'm literally wearing a Mariners hat, and you know I've been I've been I'll take the under on the Angels forever. But yeah, I'm looking at a team that if if you could guarantee health, which you can't for any team ever, especially this team. So it's kind of a pointless point. But if you could, I mean, Rengifo, Trout, Otani, Ward, Rendon, Renfro, Walsh, Urshela. I mean, it's not bad. <laughs> it's not a bad a lineup. So uh, am I sold that this is going to tip the scales? No. It's, it, is a, it is a very delicate team. And, and really what it's telling me is that they, they could really be in a dark place next offseason. Because this farm <laughs> is not good. And that, they're, they're, they're putting it all in. And I, could, it, could this team win the third wild card? Maybe if a lot of things break right, but boy, they're really they're really putting it all in for a a, a very funnily assembled team for one season. If I was the Angels, which I just really want to emphasize, I'm not. I would go to Degrom or Verlander, and I would say, "Here's a Carlos Correa three year opt out deal." Mm-hmm. I would give. I would do like three for uh, for Verlander. I would do like. Two for 89, 90 <laughs> with an opt, you know? And I would just do that with like a couple of guys, run the payroll for Artie's last ride all the way up to 290, 300, blow past this year. Right. This Fucking who cares? Like, right. especially for Artie, right? Spend your money. Like now's the, t- the time. You're going to sell this about team. To sell the team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For bill, buh, 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 billions, billions. <laughs> And it will not be his problem anymore. And what's like, who cares, right? I guess money is money and rich guys like having a lot of it. So do the rest of us in some ways. But if you're the angels, like you're right. This is the last dance. It's the saddest version of Michael Jordan and the 98 Bulls. <laughs> yeah, but but it's it's also the first dance because they have seven straight losing seasons. So it's right. like, that's why it's so funny. It's like, it's the end of this Otani, possibly the end of this Otani trout run, even though they haven't accomplished anything yet. But I, I again, like, while they could be in a very dark place this time next year, I do, yes, they should. Should they go sign one of the big shortstops and one of the big pitchers? Of course they should. But at least they are trying. At least they are acquiring competent major leaguers. But again, there's so little depth that they're still one or two injuries away from being back down and being a 73-win team. So, The estimated payroll for this team right now, according to Fangraphs, a good website, is that is around $192 million. I am going to announce something right here on the show. If the Angels go past $250 million... I will become an Angels optimist for the 2022 season. If 250 million buys my loyalty, okay? It buys my optimism. Yeah, sure. I'm supposed to be an impartial journalist. But if they spend 250 million and they go give crazy opt-out one-year deals to a bunch of free agents and they trade for players who are going to be free agents next year and they, you know, they do the right things, they can convince me that they will be not bad. They go sign Kenley Jansen for like, you know, right. $17 Kenley, million. Exactly. They do Kenley all these is a things. no-brainer next, next option here. Yep. I will say this. Be, the impending end of the Artie Moreno era in some bizarre way creates a sense, a little bit more optimism for the upcoming 2023 season because they're going to go for it. Like he clearly wants to win, wants to give it one last shot. Or else he wouldn't have approved the Anderson signing. He wouldn't have approved the Renfro trade because he wouldn't have taken on the payroll that they've taken on so far. Mm-hmm. Now, is he going to get to two, 20, uh, 250 million? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But I think that there is a path more than any year in the last decade or last mm-hmm. seven years to optimism in Anaheim. Am I there yet? Absolutely fucking not because it's still the Angels. I agree. Hey, we should also take a second here to talk about the Brewers side of this because. As many people are pointing out, this is kind of a tough look for Hunter Renfro, one of the few hitters. Listen, he is not a perfect player, but he is basically a guaranteed 30 homers. Um, and he was a good, pretty good hitter for the Brewers last year. And they're just like, nah. And Renfro had a quote like, yeah, I was pretty much expecting this. I'm too expensive, even though I'm only making like 10 or $11 million. Uh, Brewers going backwards when I am really expecting the Cardinals to make some big moves this offseason. Is one the first thing makes me think of? 
is are there more moves coming for Milwaukee going backwards? That would be super depressing for a lot of reasons, whatever. But two, again, Cubs, let's yep, go. Cubs. Let's let's get going. Let's get doing something big. Now, I don't really see how they can catch the Cardinals in one offseason, but they should be able to get into the mix for second place, if not challenge for a wild card, whatever. And please, please move forward if Milwaukee is going to move backwards because I think the Cardinals are going to be making big moves this offseason. And so they're if you want to even be sniffing them, you you better be making some big moves too. It's not about catching the Cardinals. It's about getting to play the mediocre Brewers, the bad Pirates, and the bad Reds a combined like 45 times in the 2023 season. That's a big deal. That's a lot of gimmies. Mm -hmm. They're not playing 19 times anymore, I believe, next year. Yeah, I think it moves back to 14 14. or 15. Mm -hmm. So it'll be around 45 games. Mm -hmm. Jordan, last thing before we move on from this. Uh, according to Fangraphs, uh, do you know who the starting designated hitter is right now for the Milwaukee Brewers? Uh, <clears throat> it's not Rowdy. Go pull this so up. It's not. I'm not looking it up. It's not Keston. No, Hero. you will not. You will not guess it. Go pull it up. Is it Garrett Mitchell? I Stop know guessing and pull it up. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Uh, oh, yes. Well, they just added him to the 40, man. It's John Singleton. Jonathan Who's Singleton. John Singleton, Jordan? Jonathan Singleton. Uh, was a big-time Astros prospect, uh, like literally ten years ago. He got a early contract. They were they signed him to a, an extension before he made the big leagues. He came up as a big first baseman, came up and was very bad, and basically was out of baseball. I believe he was done playing for a little while. Uh, had a couple suspensions uh, for marijuana, I believe, in the minors. Uh, Twenty seventeen was his last year with Houston. He was did not play in 18, 19, or 20. He was in Mexico in 21. And then he signed with the Brewers this season and played the whole year in AAA, led the minor leagues in walks, uh, and also hit 24 homers. He struck out a ton of times too. But uh, yeah, that he's 31 now. Amazing story. Should he be your starting DH to if you want to make the postseason? No. <laughs> I'm rooting for John Singleton. I would love to see him in the big leagues. I, I, I kind of thought he was going to get a chance this year, but not a good sign. I'm going to be honest, until I uh, saw his name on this list, I thought he was like running a car dealership somewhere. I did not know he was still in baseball. Speaking of guys who uh, are still in baseball, let's move on to Mike Clevenger, who signed a one-year, $8 million deal with the Chicago White Sox. Yeah. I I don't know if we, again, Morosi reported at least $8 million. I don't know if we have any specifics, if there's a team option. We don't know yet, but... Seems like a one-year deal with the White Sox. Um, this is something. This was great. Rosenthal tweeted last week, White Sox showing strong interest in Clevenger. And at that point, I was like, okay, the White Sox are going to sign Clevenger because Rosenthal does not waste tweets. Same with Passan. If they're giving you hints in a tweet, not just in a column, it's probably going to happen. So I've had a few days to kind of wrap my mind around this one. And the obvious point, which a lot of White Sox fans I've seen pointed out is, what a vibe shift if we're shipping out Cueto and bringing in Mike Clevenger. <laughs> For those of you unfamiliar with Mike Clevenger, here's the gist. Here's what you need to know. Fourth round pick out of a Florida Juco. Debuts in 2016 with Cleveland. From 2017 to 2020, he is like legit one of the best 15 pitchers of baseball. Well, 296 well. <laughs> ERA in 489 yeah. innings. With 553 strikeouts and a 152 ERA plus. That's over like a three and a half year span because the 2020 season was weird, right? He's like legit awesome for a oh, long yeah, yeah, yeah. time, right? Yeah, really then he gets traded to San Diego at the deadline in 20, gets TJ in November of 2020 after the season, misses all 21, comes back this year, and the fastball was down two full ticks. I believe it was 93.5-ish after being 95.5-ish for most of his career. And all year, he kind of looked like this old jalopy, you know, that couldn't go above 60 miles an hour on the highway. You know, we're on the highway and you see a car like in the right lane and it just, it literally cannot go fast. Yeah, yeah. It's using every ounce of gas in its tank. It just cannot go faster. That was Mike Clevenger this year. Yeah, and we we had a lot of discourse about this with uh, Syndergaard, right? Now, he was throwing way harder, right? And he's kind of reinvented himself in a slightly more effective way. But both of them are just not the same, and you're not guaranteed to have the stuff come back. Now, in this case, what this tells me is like 
there is still some perceived upside. And hey, we love Ethan Katz. I I hope that he can do something with with Clevenger here. But what this is telling me is we are not going to spend real long-term commitment money to improve this roster. We are going to take a gamble on a one-year arm that has had upside in the past instead of instead of improving with a a competent and reliable bat or a or a more of a sturdy innings inning arm the way the Cueto was. And I understand maybe not wanting to expect that Cueto can do the same thing this year. Maybe it's someone else. But that's what this is, right? Is it looks like a high upside thing. The thing is, is I don't know if the upside exists anymore. And it's not like Clevenger, what, I mean, maybe he had a little bit of interest, but it seemed like he was healthy this year. It's just he's not the same guy. And that's the thing. And and I I just am, that, that's what I read it as. And then the most optimistic is saying, okay, well, who who is a pitcher with upside? Who have we seen at a really high peak before, and it is him, but that was a long time ago and, and a very important surgery ago. So don't love it. Don't love the signing either, but I'm going to play devil's advocate before I tell you why I hate it. If you're going to spend a million dollars for a pitcher, you do want to get some perceived upside, especially for a team like the White Sox, where they're not going to be at the top of the market. And for them to win the division and then win in the playoffs, like that team that does that probably includes like a rejuvenated version of Mike Clevenger or someone like that. Right. And so I do understand it. You trust Ethan Katz, your pitching coach and your pitching development structure to help him improve. And on the, on the flip side, like Clevenger wasn't good this year at all. He still threw 114 innings. He still made 22 starts. Like he posted ish, especially for a guy not too far removed for Tommy John. Yeah. So at the very least, he's going to throw. Yeah. Right. And that's fine. I would say this. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. But I do not like this deal. I do not <laughs> like this at all. And I, you mentioned the point about the upside is that I don't trust Mike Clevenger, the person, to fulfill the upside, to refine and regain what made him great for those years. He is a different pitcher. He is a different physical athlete than he was, in my opinion. When he came up and he was dominating with Cleveland, he was like this wiry, spry, like very limb-y guy that moved really quickly and was super explosive. And now, to be honest with you, he's not built like a triathlete, Jordan. He doesn't look like Michelangelo's David, yeah. okay? He, in October, for the Padres, looked a little dumpy. He looked a little... He lacked the explosiveness that he had shown in Cleveland. And now maybe with a full offseason of health and he's working out every day, he can get back there. I just don't have faith in this particular player to do that. And maybe I'm proven wrong. But just what I saw of him during the postseason has very much clouded my view of the player he can be. Because the last time we saw him on a mound was game four of the NLCS against the Phillies where he started in the top of the first, the Padres put up four runs on Bailey Falter. Okay. And it was like, Oh, Padres up four on the first. If they win this game, they even the series. And then it'll go back to San Diego. Who knows what will happen? Clevenger walks out there with a four run lead in the bottom of the first and can't get a single out. And the Phillies come back and win. And to me, that's unacceptable. That's an unacceptable thing to do. If you're a big league starter, like that cannot happen. You have to get some outs, especially for guys experience as Mike Clevenger. And I just, I don't have faith that he'll be able to become the pitcher he once was. Yep. Uh, two more quick things on that. One, I agree. Uh, it's really going to be kind of like with Syndergaard. Like he has to reinvent himself. He threw his fastball just as much as he always had. And it was slower. So it's not, it's like the, the pitch mix is going to have to change. And I'm sure Ethan Katz has all kind of ideas for that. So we'll see what kind of changes he can make. The other thing is we're talking about this for five minutes because it's one of the few moves we have. But the reality is Mike Clevenger is not going to change this White Sox season one way or the other. Their season will be determined by their hitters being healthy and better than they were last year. And also the pitchers who did not, you know, perform like, you know, Lucas Giolito, uh, and Lance Lynn, to a degree, being way better than they were in 2022. So this is not going to, I think, change the trajectory of their season. So I know we're overrating and saying, oh, my God, this is this means the White Sox are screwed. No, they can still be good, even if Clevenger sucks. I do believe that. But it's not, it's not the most inspiring first move and maybe one of their only moves. That's the other thing, right? This could very well be one of their only moves this offseason, and that's what's concerning. It's not how I would have spent the $8 million, right? And I talk a lot about how the money is fake. 
The money's not real. The owners spending this money is not actual money in the way that I or you or anyone real thinks about money where like you have a budget in your life and you can't spend too much of it. These people are made of money. And so $8 million should really mean nothing. It's fake. Except for in the case of the White Sox, we know that Jerry Reinsdorf is not going to spend a whole lot of it this offseason. And so if they're working with a limited budget, the GM and you know the front office and the baseball operations department, this is not how I would have spent $8 million of that budget. Here are four names that I would have given it to who I think are relatively similar. Matt Boyd, Michael Waka, Ryan Yarborough, Chad Cool, none of whom are sexy or reliable or dependable, except for maybe Waka, but there's upside there. And I would bet you don't have to pay $8 million for all those guys. Waka probably gets a little more, but like Chad Cool, you could probably go get for like three mil. And Mm -hmm. who would you rather have in 2023? Chad Cool or (laughs) Mike Clevenger? I know a lot of people are like, what? Chad Cool sucks, but I'm with you. (laughs) I I, I definitely, definitely agree. Uh, that is, those are our transactions. Uh, 30 seconds on Carlos Santana to the Pirates. Yeah, you put uh, it on the list. Yeah, Carlos Santana, I obviously love him dearly. He's also, I forgot to bring this up last week, him being traded to the Mariners is the reason Vinny Mascotino got called up. He was the one that was in the way, and so it changed two team seasons, bringing up Vinny. And of course, uh, the the effect he had on the Mariners, both on and off the field. One of the most well-respected and appreciated veterans we have in the game. He's been around forever. He's been on a bunch of teams. And look, are the Pirates going to be good this year? No, but this is not, an, it, like again, $7 million for the Pirates is not nothing. Is he going to change their 2023? No, but he's a good guy to have around the likes of O'Neill Cruz and even Cabrian Hayes and some of their other young players who are trying to figure out how to be competent and win in the big leagues because the Pirates have not done that in a while and Carlos Santana is exactly the kind of guy to bring in. And I'm also fascinated because he was the single most shifted player in baseball last year. And so I am curious if anyone is going to have any sort of impact uh, uh, with the shift being banned. I'm curious to see how much it helps him. Before we take a quick break, I have to say goodbye to someone, Jordan. Oh, yeah. Who's that? Aristides Aquino, mm. who debuted or came up and set MLB on absolute freaking fire in 2019, hitting seven homers in his first 10 games. And then I think he hit like uh, like 10 in his first 16, and then he had like 11 in his first six. He was hitting homers at a rate that no one has ever hit homers before. He has left stateside baseball, and he has signed with the Chunichi Dragons of the NPB. A very understandable end for an incredibly flawed but very entertaining player. My favorite part about Aquino is that Even after he had that outrageously impressive performance in 2019, the Reds, the Reds knew it was a ruse. The Reds went and signed Nick Castellanos and were like, we do not trust Aquino. And they were right because this guy just swings and misses way too much and could not make adjustments at the big league level. An incredibly, incredibly fun player who I'm sure will be very good in Japan and at least very good in the Dominican Winter League for years to come. Yes, he's been fun uh, in Dome. Yeah, 11 homers in 14 games. Uh, he had that stretch. The MLBH, you know, we've talked about this. MLBHR, all the home runs. We get the notifications just for all the home runs because we're psychos. Um, the Aquino MLBHR notifications will never be topped. It is one of the funniest I, I, it was just a run on like any, there's nothing like it. He is the number one juice ball hero. We will, we have, now he obviously has plus power, right? But that season in 2019, when homers were up more than ever, there's just nothing like that two week run. And I, I will never forget it. It was so funny. I'm going to go watch a bunch of those highlights after we're done recording. Cause it was amazing. He had a three homer game in there and it was just, it was so delightful. So I hope he crushes it in Japan. Uh, maybe he'll come back. You know, he's he's 28, so maybe he'll crush it over there, come back in a few years. Who knows? But either way, he gave us some some great joy. So cheers to Aquino. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be back with some mailbag, uh, some dead ball Mad Libs, and some J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Negro Leagues Baseball Museum President Bob Kendrick hosts the SiriusXM original podcast, Black Diamonds. The Negro Leagues didn't care what color you were, and they didn't care what gender you were. Can you play? 
Hear stories of the leagues and legends that shape sport, culture, and society. That's why the museum is so important. It's like, we are never going to forget you. Episodes of the award-winning Black Diamonds are now available wherever you get your podcasts. We're not talking about balls and strikes. We're talking about your life. All right, we're back here on Baseball Barbacast. It's time to have some fun with the mailbag. You can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. That's B-A-R-B-Cast. We have two emails. One's a question and one will lead us in to our Deadball Mad Libs. We begin with a question from Barrett. Barrett says, hey guys, big fan of the pod and all your stuff. My question is, who do you think would be the funniest player to have an amazing 2023 season? Thanks for making my drives a lot more entertaining. Go M's. And he signs it toaster. I don't know what that's about, but I appreciate it. Bennett, I guess people call you toaster. Uh, <laughs> love Big this toast. question. Love this question. Go M's indeed. Uh, Jake and I did a little brainstorming before we recorded. And so we're just going to throw out some names, some rapid fire ones. This is just a great, funny question. So I would just say before we start naming some people, the easiest ones here, and some of these will fit into this, are players who are very much disliked but not because they're bad people, just because they're bad at baseball. <laughs> and so those are like the first ones that come to mind is who could have an amazing bounce back season after looking terrible. So why don't we throw out some names here and then I'll give us some other candidates. So who, who comes to mind when you, when you hear this question? The first person who came to mind was Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, shortstop of the New York Yankees, and perhaps the most hated man in New York City since Bill de Blasio. He was so bad and for large stretches of last year, particularly offensively. He did not have a home run until like way past July 4th, I believe. Mm -hmm. And the plan next year very much seems to be him at shortstop, at least for the early going. And then some combination of Anthony Volpe and Oswald Peraza at shortstop for the Yankees. But if IKF shows up in April and is just a motherfucker and is so good that they have to keep playing him and like keeps Anthony Volpe in Scranton for like an extra two months, it will be so funny. I think a more realistic version of this is they somehow get rid of Donaldson and he moves to third and has a good season. That I could actually see happening and would still be very funny because, again, how much the fans are, are tired of him. But that is that is a very a very good one. I, 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 could, I thought of Jesse Winker somehow staying in the Mariners would also be another one that would be very funny, but not. I mean, IKF is, is his own category there. Aaron um, Hicks fits in that category as well. Basically, players who were hated by these big teams and fan bases – who just figure it out, whether for that team or for another team. Mm -hmm. So another along those lines, another one who's just been derided by not just his own fans, but by the general is, is Eric Hosmer. Hosmer for the Red Sox, just banging like 50 doubles off the monster. <laughs> it would be so funny. I love that one. Um, Cody Bellinger, MVP season for a terrible team. Would be amazing, like if he signs with a team that's nowhere near the postseason, but it completely reverts back to being amazing. I would love that. That would be just tremendous. Although I guess in that scenario, he probably gets traded. Um, yeah. But still, I think that's a really funny one. No, the funniest is if he is on a bad team, is incredible, gets traded to a good team, and sucks. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, that's that's true. I guess. Well, well, I guess the question. I guess the question does say funniest, amazing 2023. That's a separate one is who's the funniest dog shit 2023 yeah. season. Maybe we save that for another podcast. But I, I so that's, that's another good one. Who, who are some other ones? I have a couple of rapid fire ones. Patrick Corbin on yep, the Nats. Of Cy Young I mean, who's season. just been the worst pitcher in baseball now for, for three years. He's um, like, he throws out like a Robin Roberts, like <laughs> Philly season where he wins like 32 games and the Nats win like 50. Right, but Corbin's in such a unique spot because he's so durable and right. so bad, and they have no one else. So he's going to make 30 starts again. Like, it's going to happen. It's not like some other teams are like, oh, he sucks. Okay, he's not pitching anymore. Like, he will go, he's going to keep pitching. So that's a good one. An obvious one is uh, reliever, former, former Cardinals reliever Alex Reyes. Oh. Like, signs with the Dodgers and his just their eighth inning guy. Mm -hmm. uh, here's one. Dallas Keuchel back to the Astros. Amazing. <laughs> I believe he's a free agent. I don't think there's really room in their rotation. I guess unless Verlander leaves. That's a funny one. 
Here's I don't think he's yeah. I don't think he's throwing another MLB pitch. Is my Dallas Keiko take? <laughs> it's very very possible. We did not mention him enough when we talked about how horrible the Red Sox the White Sox were. Like that was such a bad just part of the season. Uh, here's one. This is a, this is a little bit of a different one. Andrew Kisner. If the Cardinals don't bring in a starting catcher, which this seems very unlikely, like they're either trading someone or signing, even like Zanino, whatever. Andrew Kisner, who has been in the wings for Yadi Molina and just looks like the consummate backup. Like he is a totally fine backup catcher. I do not believe he's good enough to be a starter. But if we're like, oh, thank God, we don't think about that. And I know Yadi's been terrible hitting too. But if Andrew Kisner just turns it on, <laughs> this is just an amazing start for the Cardinals. I mean, everyone will hate it, but I think that would be amazing too. Any other ones come to mind? Uh, I was thinking about Orlando Arcia. If he's actually going to be the Braves shortstop would be a pretty funny one. <laughs> if they let him go, if, if if they don't replace him with another big name. Um, Here's I one. That'd be good. Yeah. Shane oh, Lang. Shea yeah. Langoliers, uh, athletics catcher, if they trade Sean Murphy. It's basically like team trades player away, replacement player is just yeah, unbelievable. Langoliers is a, is a legit prospect. The, the one other one I had was Luke Voigt, who was non-tendered by the Nationals after being dumped there. And, and, and I'm sure he's thrilled about that. Probably the happiest non-tender of, of any in baseball history. Uh, I don't know where he's going to land. I haven't really thought about that. But Voigt would be, here's a fun Voigt spot, Tampa. Tampa, I mean, I think they had sent, there's a good report from Rosenthal saying that they're after Jose Abreu, which would also make a lot of sense. Um, but Luke Voigt, Homer, imagine him against the Yankees. Oh, man, that would be spicy. So that would be super fun. So anyway, th- those are some answers. Kevin Newman, 50 <laughs> homer season for the Reds. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, I love that. Right, like, the, you know what? The, the, the version of that is every single homer is like, an absolute wall scraper that would never be a home run in Pittsburgh, but in Cincinnati, they all become home runs. Oh my God. That's so good. Billy all Hamilton. Right. Thank you. What'd you say? Billy Hamilton. For who? And what was, I don't know. Like? I don't know. <laughs> that's right. not the prop. The prop. Hey, is- let it, let us know if, if there's others we're missing email us. Cause I think this is a great, uh, just a fantastic question from Barrett. So, um, uh, appreciate that. So, uh, and then we had another uh, nice thing. I'm just going to use this as, as an, as an intro. And I thought this was nice. Cause I, I, this is from Nicholas. Said, "Hey Jordan and Jake, just want to say I love the inaugural edition of Deadball Mad Libs. Early baseball so delightfully weird. I'd love to hear you explore more of it. Just finished uh, reading the book Crazy 08 by Kate Murphy about the 1908 baseball season. Strong wreck as a winter baseball escape. And yes, I met Nick uh, in Seattle um, as we watched Paul Sewell give a bunch of home runs. He went to Haverford, so D3 for life. So shouts out to Nick. And Nick, you're in luck. We do have some Deadball Mad Libs today. And Jake, I have one for us. Uh, I'm going now again to just remind everyone how this works. We introduced this segment last week. We take a player from generally, almost certainly will always be at least 100 years ago, and we pull up their either Wikipedia or their Saber page. In this case, I will be reading the Saber page of one Bullet Joe Bush. We're reading about Bullet Joe Bush today. And at certain points when we read these Saber pages, because we used to do this on, on our BRF battle where we'd just bring up funny names or reading about their careers, there are things that happen in these players' lives that are just, they don't register for us 100 years later as, as either the way that it's written about in the newspaper or just some detail about their life is just so funny that we are going to try to make each other guess what they were in a game of Mad Libs. Now, one key detail we forgot last week, Jake, that I think will help us is what is one of the more important features of Mad Libs is that you actually get the figure of speech. <laughs> so I will actually tell you uh, whether there is a, it is a noun, adjective, or verb in this case. But go ahead. I'm still waiting for someone to explain to me what an adverb is. But okay. once we do that, I'll be ready to go. All right. Well, we'll, we'll save that for, for another, another podcast. All right. So I'm going to tell you about Bullet Joe Bush. Bullet Joe Bush. Um, that, do you know anything about Bullet Joe Bush, uh, by the way? Do you, is anything about him? Yeah, he was Jeb Bush's great mm-hmm. uncle. Mm-hmm. Yes, please clap for Jake with that uh, with that fun fact there. Uh, Bullet Joe Bush uh, pitched 17 years in the major leagues, and his claim to fame was uh, as a 20 year old in the 1913 World Series, he defeated the New York Giants. There was a great headline in the Boston Globe. Giants slain by mere boy, which is just the great, I mean, that is, again, this is the kind of language uh, that we're talking about. But let's get into some of the Mad Libs. Uh, His name was, we'll get to why he was Bullet Joe uh, later. His his name was actually Leslie. Leslie Ambrose Bush was born on November 27th, 1892, the third of seven children. 
of John William and Margarita Maggie. John William, originally from Ohio, was a blank uh, job. This is a, a job. What was his, his dad? A um, mortician. <laughs> he was a conductor with the Northern Pacific Railroad. His mother, Maggie, oh, was- Oh, I thought, I, thought, I thought he was like a, a conductor in an <laughs> oh, orchestra. Conductor. <laughs> yes, conductor, that's, that's true, two different ones. Maggie, his mother, Maggie, was from not, a non, not the United States. What country? Margarita? <laughs> Margarita. I'll take Bulgaria. Mm, she was from, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Zekenstow, Poland. Okay. Mm. <laughs> Zekenstow, Poland. So he grew up in, in Minnesota, a place called Brainerd, Minnesota, which I believe is where Nick Anderson uh, is from, recently assigned with the Braves, Brainerd. Now, Brainerd was apparently a, quote, baseball conscious town. They had a baseball, they, they, they erected a baseball park in the very center of the village before many of the city streets were formed. He tells the story, is told to him uh, by, uh, this is from a Brainerd historian, how former Joe Bush, uh, how Joe would practice his pitching in blank, in a, a, a place, in what? Where was he practicing his pitching? So it was cold outside. And it was Brainerd. very cold, that's true. And yeah. so he would have had to practice it inside, I will say, a church. Mm, okay, that's, that's pretty good. But no, he was in an old orchard. Okay, so this is a good hint. By throwing, he practiced his pitching in an old orchard by throwing blank. Apples. Exceedingly fast, rotten apples, indeed. Now he threw- Wait, 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 Exceedingly, yes. the apples themselves were exceedingly <laughs> fast? Well, we'll get to his exceedingly, yes. That, that's a, it's a weird, weird, weird phrase. But yes, he was throwing rotten apples, okay? Now, what was he throwing these rotten apples at? By throwing exceedingly fast, rotten apples at the blank. At what? What was he throwing it at? The birds. The, the birds. <laughs> he was throwing it at the crescent-shaped hole of a neighboring outhouse. Yeah, I would not have gotten that. That seems very specific. Oh, so you're talking, so like in my mind, I'm thinking about Shrek, right? He's got the, yes, he's got exactly. the crescent in Shrek. Exactly. I love this line. A direct hit meant considerable spray spattered throughout its interior, particularly annoying to anyone seated there. So if you're just in this outhouse in an orchard, like you're the apple picker guy mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you're just taking a midday shit, mm -hmm. minding your own, and this fucking kid <laughs> comes over and, and you just get sprayed with apple chunks mid-wipe. Yep. Exceedingly fast. Exceedingly apple. fast <laughs> apple chunks. The other thing I'd like to point out about this is that the crescent-shaped hole, at least in Shrek, is high. On yes. the outhouse door. Yes. So it'd be like an elevated fastball. And maybe that's why Joe Bush was so good is that he understood <laughs> he, he had to work the top ahead. of the zone with his force. Right. So anyway, so he goes up, he, he goes, he ends up playing in, in Montana. He gets picked up by the same scout that signed Walter Johnson in Idaho. So that's pretty cool. So he gets signed by uh, the, T the A's. He goes, he pitches for Connie Mack. Uh, fantastic again great speed his, his he's throwing really really hard uh there's this quote here he was knocking the mid off the first baseman's hand with his speed amazing okay so he's throwing really hard uh and then this is good okay bush had a few idiosyncrasies as well to, in his pitching delivery he threw every pitch with such intensity that he blank verb vomited <laughs> that he emitted a grunt sound that could be heard in the bleachers. So he was right. like uh, Serena Williams or like yes. Zach or Max Scherzer. Yes, exactly. Or, or um, Robbie Ray. I mean, Robbie Ray, is, is, right. he's the king right now. Man, uh, can you imagine like any pitch you throw over 95, you vomit? <laughs> you you that, could only hey, do it like twice a game. Manfred's all about that, right? We're trying to get bad balls. That's how we can you know, increase you know, pitch velocity, maybe get some more balls in play. That's uh, called he, tipping. That's tipping pitches. That is oh, he vomited. It's going to be a fastball. Oh, oh, it's going to be really fast. All right, great. He had a, a pirouette style of delivery called the Joe Bush twist around. <laughs> that <Wait. they've> re <laughs> That's amazing. Which I don't know if that means like Johnny Cueto, like turning. I, what do you think this means? I, that, that's what I'm... I'm saying is like kind of turning far around and then and then turning back around. What do you think? Yeah, Cueto, it's got to be it's got to be like Cueto. Yes, we should start being like, oh, Cueto with another Joe Bush <laughs> twist around. The Joe Bush twist around pitch that Babe Ruth considered quite effective. Ruth encouraged other young Yankees pitchers to mimic the style. All right, so there you go. So uh, the nickname Bullet Joe took hold in Missoula when he was playing. 
The club president, Huey Campbell, began to call him Joe Bush. Again, his name is just Leslie. After a former what? A former local what? Another, I mean, you're not going to get the exact words, but but again, we're in Missoula. What? Who is he naming it after? A local what? Like a, like a ranch hand or like a famous cowboy or like a I rodeo king. I, I'm giving you full credit for that. It's it, <laughs> first you here as a, a Bronco buster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, I nailed it. Hell you yeah. nailed it. You totally nailed it. Let's ride. So there you go. Bronco Buster, let's ride, dude. Bronco Buster, let's ride. Uh, later, the local media began to call him Joe Bullet because of the speed of his fastball. Bush credits the name Bullet Joe to teammate Eddie Collins, who was applied the label after observing a letter in the clubhouse that was addressed to Joe Bullet Bush. The nickname stuck. All right, so he's on the A's. The A's are great, but then... They win that World Series, amazing. But then this is the A's are like a they're like a powerhouse. They won a bunch of World Series, but then in 1914 everything just goes terribly wrong. And I'm going to give you some uh, some Division Three flashbacks here, okay? <laughs> because uh, in in two in, in 1914 we had a bit of a, a bit of a bit of a bit of an issue in the World Series, where uh, here let me sorry I'm, I'm pulling this up. All right, so he wins the 1913 World Series. He's a huge, he's a huge hero. But then in 1914, everything goes wrong. They're play, uh, playing again. Uh, this is against the uh, Red Sox, and here we go. It is they've gone nine innings tied in the ninth inning. Both teams scored two runs in the tenth. Then the ninth and in the twelfth inning, sorry. Then the twelfth inning, Hank Gowdy uh, strokes a double after an intentional walk to Larry Gilbert. The next play was a sacrifice bunt that Bush. What did he do? What did he do? He threw it into the crowd, Jordan. He threw it. He threw it past the third baseman, allowed the run to score. They lose. They go on. They get swept, whatever. Now, after that, this is when they famously trade all of their players away. And then the next year, after winning 99 games, they won 43 games. This is the first A's sell-off. You think it's bad to trade Matt Chapman and Matt Olson one offseason? This one's way, 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 way crazier. David so Forrest they, has nothing on this Exactly. Shit. So they trade everyone away. A few years later, they trade him away. Uh, they trade him uh, eventually to the Red Sox, and then he gets traded to the Yankees when he gives this uh, delightful quote. <laughs> he says, "He says, all right, so great, so now I'm on, I'm on the Red Sox, or I'm, I'm not on, the, I'm not on the, the Red Sox anymore. I, I get to be on the Yankees." Uh, Joe Bush says, "It's the greatest Christmas present imaginable." Then another good point is that I will have Babe Ruth with me instead of against me. That always makes a pitcher's life a happier one. Mm, well said. <laughs> well said. <Jeff>. Yes. <laughs> Preach. Very well said. Uh, all right, last thing here. This is this is a great example of just a story that makes absolutely no sense. Aside from Joe's well-known baseball talents, he was a man of some creative expression as well. As was true with many ballplayers in the period, on occasion, Joe would participate in blank. An alcoholism contest. Uh, in, so in, close. <laughs> a, in, uh, uh, it's like a... Again, something very, very popular activity slash kind of show of the time. Uh, he would participate in like in vaudeville in God, a silent movie. In vaudeville skits. <laughs> nicely done Usually with other ball players. He was described as having, quote, an excellent baritone voice. My Joe man was also the, hold on vaudeville vaudeville goat. Exactly. This is the story that I, I have. Okay. Joe was also a blank. This is another job slash like party, kind of like a party trick. Um, Juggler? Oh, close. It, it is along the lines of like a, like not quite the circus, but similar, it, similar to vaudeville. Like he was also a, he's a very weird skill. There's oh, bar mitzvah DJ. <laughs> not quite, not quite. I don't know how many. Uh, bar mitzvahs were being DJ'd uh, at this time. Um, this is tough. I think you you might you might get this eventually, but I'll tell you. He was a ventriloquist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh so man, maybe, maybe that is that. that is one of the least trustworthy qualities a person can have. <laughs> so I'm just gonna read this extremely uh, hilarious. He was like our story, and then we'll be done. Yeah. He was like Jeff Dunham, but he also threw 85. Bingo. And I'm just going to read this weird story that we'll be done with Bullet Joe Bush. On one occasion when he was with the Red Sox, traveling north from spring training with the Giants, Joe got himself into some trouble with the locals in the small town of Morristown, Tennessee. While in a restaurant there, he began to mimic animal sounds that could be heard coming from different parts of the room, alarming the restaurant staff. They called the local constable. 
I mean, as one does. Always great. <laughs> Who arrested Joe? Isn't isn't that what ACAB is? All constables are bastards. <laughs> they arrested him. They arrested him for making animal sounds in the restaurant. As the story goes, Joe then mimicked the sound of a vicious barking dog projecting the voice behind the constable. And while the officer turned to protect himself, Joe broke free. Yeah, this is kind of my point, man. Like <laughs> ventriloquists are freaking weirdos. You cannot trust a ventriloquist. Anyway. Always have said that. So that's Joe Bush. Uh, he Again, he goes on. Basically, the other notable thing about him is that eventually, because he was throwing so hard, his arm had all kinds of issues. And then he basically started throwing a forkball and claims to have been the first one to have thrown a forkball. And that lengthened his career like 10 years. And he just bounced around a bunch of teams at the end of his career. But bullet Joe Bush, um, uh, an absolute legend. Maybe he invented the forkball. But most importantly, he was a ventriloquist. Those have been some dead ball Mad Libs. Jake, thank you so much for participating. You nailed some of those. You, you did a really good job there. Who would have thought that when you turned on this podcast today, you would hear the words Bronco Buster and vaudeville? (laughs) Yes, you're welcome. All right. uh, Before we get out of here, we are going to go to our New York Jets correspondent. It is Monday and we love football. So let's bring in Vinny Pasquantino to tell us what happened with his beloved New York Jets. Hot, hot hike. It's Monday here on Baseball Barbacast. And you know what that means for the very first time. We're going to be debuting a new segment called Did the Jets Win with special guest Vinny Pasquantino. Vinny, did the Jets win? Yes, they did, Jake. Yes, they did. How did the Jets win? Yeah, how did they win? They scored more points than the Chicago Bears. Now, I don't follow football if you can't tell. I don't even know what week it is. Is Is it week 11? That's my guess. What week is it? I have no idea. I just know that the Jets beat the Chicago Bears. The weeks run together when the green and white are pounding opponents into the turf. Now, Vinny, this win over the Chicago Bears meant a lot to you, specifically in terms of bragging rights. Can you expound on that? Yes, I have a a lot of friends from the Chicago general area of the country, and a lot of them are Chicago Bears fans. So this week has been circled on my calendar for a lot of weeks now. And it just felt good to get a win. And a lot of those fans are are trying to pretend as if they're happy because now they have the number two pick in the draft if the draft happened today. I just don't agree with that kind of fandom. I've never bought into that until the end of the season and you look at the draft standings. But for me, I just want to win football games. And yesterday, that's what the green and white did. They just they got they got to MetLife. It was raining. It looked like it was a miserable weather day. And they didn't care. They just scored more points, and you know that's what it's all about. Just stack wins. How much will this change the trajectory of your week in terms of when the Jets normally lose, which I understand they do, like how long does it normally take you to just kind of rally? Because this, I mean, we're talking to you on a Monday morning, and you seem to be ready to attack the day. Yeah, I mean, it definitely makes everything better. And the problem with being an annoying Jets fan like I am is that when they lose, I hear about it from – all angles, essentially. So when they win, nobody could say anything to me because it just feels good. It just feels good. So when they lose, especially when they lose the way they did to the Patriots twice, I hear about it. I hear about it a lot. And because uh, somehow there's Patriots fans all over the country. I guess it's because they were so good for like 25 years. So why not like them? But yeah, I hear about it all the time. But <laughs> seven and four, baby. Seven and four. We're the currently the seven seed in the playoffs. Life couldn't be better. Thanks to the expanded wild card, which apparently happens in every sport. Now, Vinny, before we let you go, one last question. There's been a lot of debate about who should start at quarterback for the New York Jets. Uh, a gentleman named Zach Wilson, who looks uh, very punchable to me, uh, was their quarterback. And now he's not. Who should be the quarterback moving forward for the New York Jets? It's, I mean, it's hard to argue against the guy who just put up 31 points. And Did you guys just also get tagged in a tweet as well? Because I just did. You just looked at your phone, and uh, my phone also just buzzed. But, yeah, I think it's hard to argue against the guy who just scored 31 points. So I'd imagine we'll see Mike White this weekend in, in Minnesota, and I'm really happy to watch that game. Really excited. Looking forward to it. Vinny, thank you for your time. Uh, the impenetrable Vinny Pasquantino riding high off of a Jets victory. 
In high school, they called Vinny Mike White. Yes, yes, that's correct. Thanks, guys. And we are here to say goodbye on the end of yet another joyful and raucous episode of Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. Now, Jordan, before we get out of here, I'm going to toot my own horn. Do it. Toot toot. I'm getting honored at my high school tomorrow oh, night, Jordan. I am like, uh, you know, high schools, uh, they have people back and they have you give a speech and uh, you say, I liked it here. <laughs> That's hey. me. Hey, it's me. I went to school here. <laughs> and now I got a beard. <laughs> Isn't that funny? I'm wearing uh, a suit. I got to wear a suit. Let's hey, and let's give clarify. a 10 minute speech. Let's yeah. clarify. Um, this isn't just for your illustrious career in the PVAC. This is for your just your career as a student, right? I mean, this isn't you're not getting the jersey on the wall. This is like you are being honored by the school. Being honored by the school for accomplishments after graduating. Um most of which are actually, believe it or not, attributable to Jordan. Now, Jordan and I did not go to high school together, so he is not getting honored. What a freaking idiot. Mm-hmm. Um, but tomorrow, Jordan, I will stand up in front of a bunch of uh, real adults, and I will wear a suit, and I will put on deodorant for the first time in a week, and I will talk about my Jewish identity. Um, and well, so if, if that's of any interest to you people listening, uh, I don't know, uh, come through, I guess. Uh Thank you for, for your good luck. Good luck. I hope you thank you. good luck with your speech. And uh, thank you for joining me. Thank you to Chris Tyler, as always, for producing this episode of Baseball Barbercast. In a week, we will be all together in beautiful, sunny, warm San Diego, California for the winter meetings. We do have one more episode, of course, before then later this week on Thursday. But man, are we excited for the winter meetings. Just expect like a fuckload of shit, which is yeah. a good way to describe what we're going to be doing. We are just going to be talking endlessly and incessantly into microphones for much of the winter meetings to bring you all the baseball insight, revelry, and idiocy you've come to expect here on this show. Last thing, I think we will have a major transaction to talk about on Thursday. Oh! Listen, the week after Thanksgiving is a good, leading into the winter meetings, sometimes it's two weeks before the winter meetings, this is just one. I think we're ready to roll. I think, I think MLB, as Jerry said, is ready to transact, and I'm looking forward to it. So we'll talk to you on Thursday. Until then, thank you all for listening. Hot, hot, hike. Serious XM Podcasts.